This is the Sports Business Radio Virtual Roadshow, presented by Boingo Wireless, with special guest Kathy Carter, the Chief Revenue Officer for the 2028 Los Angeles Olympics. Paris will definitely stay at 2024, and LA will definitely stay at 2028. Although, uh, just to put a pin in the first part of the con- of the statement, Tokyo will happen, um, whether it is with variety of ways that they're that they are delivering events uh, in Europe. But but all in all, I think that that Tokyo will happen. Now. The Sports Business Radio Virtual Roadshow, presented by Boingo Wireless. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our first virtual Sports Business Radio Roadshow. I'm Mike Finley, CEO of Boingo Wireless, and we are proud to host this exclusive conversation with Sports Business Radio's Brian Berger and Kathy Carter, CEO of the 2028 LA Olympics. Before we get to their conversation, let me tell you a little bit about Boingo. Boingo is a global leader in wireless connectivity. We deploy cellular and Wi-Fi networks that reach more than a billion people annually at places like airports, stadiums, military bases, and multifamily communities. For sports and entertainment venues, Boingo powers the mobile fan experience. Whether live streaming kickoff or using a mobile ticket, our networks keep guests connected. Today, we're powering 5G radio networks at world-class NFL, NBA, MLS, and NCAA stadiums. And as we navigate COVID-19, Boingo is helping teams follow strict health and safety protocols with wireless networks that can facilitate touchless experiences like contactless entry and concessions. I'm especially excited about today's conversation with Kathy because LA is Boingo's home turf. Boingo was born in LA 20 years ago, and we couldn't be more excited to see our great city host the 2028 Summer Games. 2020 has taught us a lot about resilience And I'm proud of the work LA leaders are doing to keep initiatives like 2028 moving full speed ahead. Outside of Boingo, I serve on the board of the LA Sports and Entertainment Commission. I had the opportunity to meet Kathy earlier this year when she presented to our board and gave a great talk on LA 2028. I've seen firsthand how her leadership will serve LA 28 well, and it is not an exaggeration to say that we are all counting down the days for the Olympics to return to LA. LA is a place of possibility and a city of optimism. There's no better place to host the games. And on that note, it is my privilege to formally introduce today's guest, Kathy Carter, CEO of the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Properties and Chief Revenue Officer of LA28, and Brian Berger, host of Sports Business. Brian, I'll hand it over to you. Thanks. Mike, thanks so much, and thanks to Boingo for being our partner on today's Sports Business Radio Roadshow. Uh, it's great to have Kathy Carter with us. As Mike said, she is the LA28 Chief Revenue Officer. You can find Kathy Carter on Twitter at kcarter28, and you can follow LA28 on their website, which is la28.org. Let's welcome Kathy Carter to the Sports Business Radio Roadshow. Kathy, thanks for joining us today. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks so much for having me. So you've got such an interesting background. I always love to start our roadshows at the beginning, kind of the the college years and and when you first got the inkling that you might want to work in sports. You went to William & Mary. You were a Division I college athlete, a goalkeeper. And uh, how did that inspire you to work in sports? 
Well, first of all, um, let me start with, yes, I went to William & Mary and the part of a, a podcast or even a video cast or however we play this out, you can't see how tall I am. Uh, so I stand at a very, very significant five foot five inches. Uh, so the idea of me being a goal, goalkeeper back in the day was um, terribly uh, uh, struck a lot of fear in the, in the eyes and in the, the shooters in their whole being as they looked down on a five foot five inch goalkeeper. So uh, I definitely learned a little tenacity back then at what you had to do when you're short playing a tall woman's game. Uh, so um, how did I get in? You know, one of the great things when I was a college athlete was we brought in a lot of speakers um, to speak to the athletes uh, that were a part of the, the university. And one of our great alumni, is, uh, alumni was Mark McCormick, obviously of uh, the founder of IMG and sort of the, the godfather, if you will, of sports marketing and, and really of the business. And uh, he sat in front of a, a room full, an auditorium full of athletes and talked about the sports business and what he and his company were doing. And every single one of us left our, our, uh, that moment and said, that's what I want to do with my life. The transition from that to actually getting into business were two different things, because back in the early 90s, uh, the sports business was not nearly the, uh, uh, the, the, what it is today. And so uh, I had that dream with no real understanding how I would actually make it a reality, but, but I was able and very fortunate to be able to do that. Well, and what a team you played on, because uh, wasn't Jill Ellis, former U.S. Women's National Team coach, one of your teammates at William yeah. Mary? She was actually both in high school and in college. So Jill and I actually grew up together. Uh, she, uh, we played, she was a senior when I was a freshman, but uh, she actually just texted me the other day as we launched the LA 28 brand to comment on how cool it was. So uh, we still stay very close in touch and she's just done an amazing, amazing job with uh, everything she's done with our women's national team. So you've got an incredible background specifically in soccer, soccer United marketing, mm -hmm. but you're a relative novice to the Olympic games. I know you and Casey Wasserman have been close. What was it about this opportunity that attracted you to say, you know what, this is what I want to spend the next several years doing. Well, I had, uh, to your point, I had a really long and, and, and terrific career in soccer, 20 plus years, almost 25 years uh, of actually building Major League Soccer, of starting to represent and manage the commercial interests of the sport. Um, and, and I kind of hit a, a, a crossroads a number of years ago and um, took some time off to really reflect on what my next move would be. And uh, and some of the key things that were important to me were I wanted to, to be uh, working with an unbelievable group of people, and I wanted to do more than just work, meaning I wanted to, to be able to, to do something that actually gave back. Uh, it was almost as if um, there was somebody else listening to my inner thoughts when, when Casey called and said, hey, this is what we have ahead of us for the next decade. And it was sort of the combination of unbelievable people, an unbelievable mission, and an unbelievable opportunity. Uh, and so it didn't take a lot of convincing for me to say I'm in. And LA28 is led by some very powerful women. You, we've got uh, Sarah Hirschland, Suzanne Lyons. What does it mean to be part of an organization that's being led by powerful women? Well, I'm proud not only of what Sarah and Suzanne have done on the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee, and they really are changing the narrative and the dialogue around uh, how we actually manage Team USA and start to really bring the athletes into the conversation, more importantly, giving them a platform 
uh, and focus on not just their playing careers, but also what happens post-playing. So, you know, they, they've done that with, with uh, great skill, even though there've been great challenges. But, uh, but we also, with U.S. Olympic and Paralympic properties, with LA28 and all the various acronyms that exist in the world of Olympic sports, you know, we've really done an unbelievable job in my mind of bringing some of the most capable women uh, to, to bear on the opportunity that's ahead of us. And that, that means across all of the organizations that are collectively coming together and I would actually add NBC Universal in that, whether it be you know Linda Yaccarino who who heads up uh, the Olympic uh, or all of sales for NBC Universal, Molly Solomon who is the head of uh, production now for the Olympic Games for NBC, uh, Jenny Storms uh, who's the head of NBC Sports uh, Marketing. So we really have perhaps between all of the names I've listed plus so many more and, and perhaps the very best collection of women uh, and men. Um, that are actually together working towards a common cause. Yeah, it really is incredible. If you look at the staff that you've put together, uh, Dave Minji is a good friend of mine. We go way back to his days at, at Nike. And you know, just so many of the people that you've hired, I've, I've definitely taken notice. And they've been all-stars at other companies, whether it's the NFL, Nike, Visa. And, and you've put together this in, incredible collection of talent. So it says a lot about what you're doing and and what the movement is, how is LA going to be unique? How are you going to reimagine how the Olympic Games take place in 2028? Uh, we've got really an incredible opportunity ahead of us for, for a couple of different reasons. And, you know, we often talk a lot about um, the fact that it's not as if we have better ideas than anybody else. We just have the ability and the time to actually implement that, that, those ideas for two reasons. Number one, when we originally were, host, were, were um, awarded the right to host the games, we're, that happened at the same time the 24 uh, for Paris when they received the rights as well. So we actually got four additional years. So at the time that, that we were awarded the games, we were 11 years out of hosting. What it, and, and traditionally, they actually announce and award the winner uh, of the host of the games seven years out. So starting there, we have more time. Uh, number two, because of the embarrassment of riches, quite frankly, we have in Los Angeles, uh, we have all of the venues already ready to go. Uh, and so whether you call it radical reuse uh, or you look at just the fact that the deployment of the overall infrastructure of Los Angeles, we're able to um, enter into the games knowing that we, have to, we don't have to build a single permanent venue. Uh, yes, we'll have some temporary venues, but that pales in comparison to what most Olympic organizing committees ha have to build as they, they look to host the games. So with that in our, in our sites, it really is incumbent upon us now to say, okay, how do we actually evolve the experience, evolve the opportunity for us to have an impact on our community, to have an impact on the games, and for LA with such a rich tradition of hosting the Olympic games, this will be the first time that we actually host the Paralympic Games. And so what we believe we'll be able to do uh, for equality, diversity, inclusion, and opportunity, uh, we just think that, that it's an unlimited uh, opportunity that's ahead of us. 1932, 1984, and 2028, those are the three years that Los Angeles is, is hosting the Olympics. I went to school at Loyola Marymount in Los Angeles. I'm pretty familiar with LA, the diversity, the melting pot. Uh, I love the new branding that you guys revealed this week. And I love all of the different minds that you tapped into to reveal the branding. I love the fact that it's animated and that there's, what, 26 different 
versions of the animation with kind of a distinct uh, logo for each of the people that you, you tapped into such an incredible city. And, and I think where we are in the world right now, LA is so fitting to host uh, an Olympic games. Yeah. You know, we, we, to your point, we just launched the brand here uh, just a few couple of days ago. Uh, and, and as we were going through the process of figuring out how do we want to represent Los Angeles, we really took to the streets literally. And um, we, we took a look at the fact that the sum of all of the neighborhoods and people and parts of Los Angeles, there is no one LA. And so how do you actually incorporate that into a communication that effectively um, articulates what the opportunity is in Los Angeles, which is really about uh, limitless possibility, um, really the opportunity that everyone is welcome. Diversity is our strength. And, and we realized very quickly that the idea of a static and single emblem um, was something that would, would actually not allow us to have the freedom that actually Los Angeles represents. And so by, by actually creating the first dynamic and digital uh, emblem that has existed in the Olympic and Paralympic movement, we actually use the, the brand as a way to tell the story of Los Angeles, of which there's thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of ways to articulate what anyone's LA is. And uh, we then reached out, and whether it was uh, Olympians, Paralympians, activists, artists, um, or entertainers, uh, and we had an, a really terrific set of people that came in and, and helped tell the story of Los Angeles through their own personal story. Uh, and we're pleased with the start of this journey because I think it, it, uh, it speaks to both Los Angeles and the Olympic and Paralympic movements, which are really all about diversity, inclusion, and opportunity. Uh, we are really excited about what, what this starting point for us really means. I love uh, Allison Felix, Alex Morgan, Reese Witherspoon. You had some really terrific people involved in uh, your brand identity. And again, congratulations. I think it turned out great. Eight years in advance. Here we are, 2020, yeah. the games, 2028. I think one of the most difficult things is planning for something so far ahead because we really don't know what the world's going to look like eight years from now. From retention of employees to trying to figure out uh, technologies that may exist. You know you have those venues, which you said is, is a big, big deal. You don't have to build anything and you already know the venues and what they are. How do you plan for something so far away? Well, yeah, we see it actually as the, the, one of the greatest opportunities uh, for the journey. Um, so many organizers, once they win the right to host the games, actually have to then implement the plan that they put together as a part of the bid. Um, and really, those are two different opportunities. You win the bid with a bid plan. Um, and now we're looking at how do we reimagine elements of that? Now, not wholesale changes, but how do we actually take advantage of knowing that we'll have the games and start to really look to the future to say, how do we put in place um, even greater you know, ways to engage the community, ways to actually increase and, and, and uh, deliver the fan experience? Um, obviously, how do we act, how do we get ahead of uh, the generation of revenue required to host the games? Uh, so, so there's no shortage of work to be done. Um, and you know, really, four to five years into the games, we turn into the same 
organizing committee that anybody else turns into and you're, you're into really an executional phase. But right now we have the opportunity to really think strategically before we really scale our organization and think about what's important, which is why, you know, launching our brand, building our culture, figuring out ways that we can actually develop the, um, and inculcate the overall experience of the Olympic and Paralympic movements to Los Angeles they are, are some of the key things we're really focused on. One of the things you're doing that's really unique is you're partnering with NBC Universal and you're packaging your sponsorships. I think it's a great idea. I'm frankly surprised it hasn't been done in the past. It seems to make a lot of sense. Can you explain to our listeners who may not be familiar with that new model how that's going to work? Yeah, so basically what we, what we looked at was that uh, traditionally um, uh, a commercial partner would come in, they'd buy the rights. Uh, and then they would have to turn around and negotiate with NBC. And we've taken a step out of that and by virtue of pulling them all together so that when a company comes in and says, I want to partner with uh, the, over the next eight years with the Olympics and with the Paralympics, they now understand how they use the NBC uh, megaphone, the platform to really tell their story. There's no greater storyteller when it comes to the Olympics and Paralympics than NBC. Uh, and so it allows them the ability to, to have a much longer plan uh, for how they want to gain and get a return on an investment with us so that they can focus on um, activating the partnership as opposed to acquiring more and more rights as they go through the process. So we're excited because, you know, obviously um, we've now been in the market for, for about a year and having really terrific conversations about how it can all come together um, and think it's going to actually have a terrific impact on clients' ability to really um, you know, deliver for their customers, for their employees, for their communities in ways that, uh, uh, that we haven't really unpacked and really experienced before. This has been a crazy year, 2020. How has the pandemic and just the way people have changed doing business impacted your fundraising and your conversations with people that you're doing business with? Well, a lot of it, like what we're doing right now, which is all <laughs> over uh, our computers, uh, you know, I think the idea of actually physically seeing a human is, uh, is a distant memory for, Matt for, for, for a while now. But, uh, you know, I think after we all got through the initial sort of evolution of what we were uh, faced with and really sat down and said, okay, now I've gotten my staff and my company all virtual uh, I think people have wanted to get back to, okay, what does the future look like? And so um, while it has been different and it's been difficult, I think for us, uh, it's forced us to, to get a lot more uh, focused on what we have to do uh, and what's right ahead of us. And a lot, so we're all like everybody else on Zoom calls and calls all day long. Um, we haven't really slowed down. In fact, I'd say we have uh, sped up a little bit. So I think we'll come out of this and uh, in a pretty decent position, although time will tell. Um, but I would say I think we're very fortunate that uh, our games are in 2028 right now. Yeah, you have the, the time is on your side and you can kind of yes. see how, how things unfold. So I didn't know this until recently. And I'll ask you about this since I have you on because I think a lot of our audience is a little bit in the dark or confused on this. So obviously this year, Tokyo is supposed to happen 2020. It's been postponed to 2021. Some people have asked me, well, if 2021 doesn't happen, does everything get bumped forward or does Tokyo just lose their opportunity to host the summer games? 
I think Tokyo loses their opportunity and, and Paris stays at 2024 and LA stays at 2028. But can you clarify that? Well, uh, yes. Um, first of all, Paris will definitely stay at 2024 and LA will definitely stay at 2028. Although uh, just to, to put a pin in the first part of the, con- of the statement, Tokyo will happen. Um, and I think that that is not in my mind in question. Uh, I think we've seen an incredible evolution in, in how sports are being played, whether it's in a bubble uh, or a controlled environment, um, whether it is with variety of ways that, they're, that they are delivering events uh, in Europe. But, but all in all, I think that, that Tokyo will happen. Will it look exactly the way it was going to look in 2020? Um, as it was originally contemplated. I think that is and still remains to be seen, but, uh, but it will happen. So I think starting there, uh, Tokyo will happen in 2021. Paris will happen in 2024 and LA will happen in 2028. That's good news. I'm sure a lot of people uh, will be very, very happy about that. The elite athletes that participate in the Olympics, they come from all over the world. You know, one of the, the biggest, I, I've talked to a lot of the athletes that have come and it's just the highlight of their lives. What can you do to make the Olympic Village and just their experience as Olympians in LA something that they'll never forget? Well, you know, that was actually Janet Evans, who is our chief of athletes and certainly understands what it's like to uh, be an, an Olympic athlete and, and live in the Olympic Village and for that matter, participate and light the Olympic cauldron. Um, you know, she did a lot of work as we, we were in the bid phase uh, to really understand, you know, what are some of the things that would make it easier uh, for an athlete uh, to participate in the Olympic or the Paralympic Games. And, you know, there's a whole swath of things that are easy for us to accomplish. Simple things like um, giving and helping have their families actually watch them compete. You know, it's been hard for them to potentially get tickets. And so we have actually looked at and will have every athlete will have a availability for tickets for their family, for the, for the, the races or the competitions that they are in. Um, you know, outside of that, it's, you know, providing them things that make their experience much easier, like more towels. And that sounds really simple um, and silly, but they're important when you're an athlete. But then there's bigger ideas like, um, you know, how do we actually create programming in the Olympic Village and the Paralympic Village that actually provides opportunity for them to um, really think about their future? So we have a whole host of ideas and ways that we want to integrate into the Olympic and Paralympic Village, which will be unique and different, uh, let alone the fact that the ease of their of, of living in the UCL on the UCLA campus, the access to training facilities, even well on the confines of the athlete village. It's all right there. Uh, and the weather will be great. And uh, we'll find ways that they don't, if they lose their, their, their key to their room, they can still get in. So there's lots of things that we're already starting to think about um, that sound really simple and silly, but, uh, but we think will be very, very cool. Well, I'm watching what's going on inside the bubble with the NBA, the WNBA, the NHL, WN. SL, it's really interesting to see the environment that they've created safe, first and foremost. But, you know, you can go down the slide at Disney World and go swimming or you can go fishing or play golf. I think we're learning a lot right now about what the athletes like. And especially if you have them, you know, either in a bubble or in a village, 
how we can best, uh, you know, make them happy, make their stay nice for when they're there. Yeah, no, I think that's a really great point. And it's something we've obviously started to take a look at. Um, but we'll start with really the simple things. And then from there, we'll layer on. And so I think that's the piece that uh, we're most excited about is to start to dig in. Because the athletes are actually, that's the core of everything that we're doing. Uh, it, they are truly, this is their moment. You know, 14,000 athletes uh, that'll be in Los Angeles in 2028. Um, and how do we make sure that the experience is perfect for each and every one of them? Uh, that's a, that's a, a key part of what we want to do. And that's not just in LA. It's actually leading into the games uh, and ultimately after the games as well. Sponsor activations. I know we, we touched on this a little bit earlier in the conversation. How do you, again, imagine eight years from now as far as sponsor activations between now and then? And are there any activations that you've seen you know, over the course of your career, Olympic or otherwise, where you just said, you know what, that was a really outstanding activation? Yeah, I mean, I think we've all seen things like that, whether it's, uh, you know, Nike obviously sets the stage. I remember uh, being down in 1996 at the Atlanta Games, and that was sort of the famous time when Nike, who was not an official partner of the Games, uh, took over a parking garage and that was right next to Centennial Olympic Park. Um, and uh, they essentially turned that into a, a Nike store, the precursor to the Nike store. Uh, with all sorts of athlete imagery and products and all sorts of things. Uh, and that sort of was where you realized the whole idea of what do you do with a big event? Um, and uh, you go on from there, whether it's, you know, a variety, whether it's what Red Bull has done with all the things they've done. But suffice it to say, as, as we look at an eight-year journey, it's not about one activation. It's actually about putting in place for us and for clients um, all of the, the rights, the capabilities, and the flexibility to evolve as the games continue to evolve. And so what do we do to start making it easier? One of the things that uh, you mentioned, I wasn't an Olympic um, expert, uh, and that's super, that's very, very true. But what we realized we came in is we had a lot of people we brought together that did have Olympic experience and many who had sports experience. And we've really looked at it and said, we've got to create uh, and the ease of execution for our partners in a way that they can continue to innovate. Uh, and by making it so they don't have to acquire more rights, but rather try to put as much into the overall program as we can and make it easy for them to start to activate, it allows them far greater ability to innovate, uh, which we think is where we'll even see groundbreaking, you know, the, the, see groundbreaking ideas over the next eight years in and around the Olympic and Paralympic movement. So many sponsors now, when they activate, they want to include community or let's make our world a better place aspects to their activation. I'm sure you're seeing that and you're probably working with your partners on, on what that would look like. Yeah, you know, it's also one of the great things about the Olympic and Paralympic movements is that um, the games are so big that they serve as a convening force uh, to bring people together towards a common cause. And so uh, you know, we announced as an example that Delta is going to partner with us on the creation uh, and execution of our volunteer program. And so how and what do we do to create a different type of volunteer program that actually starts and begins a dialogue around volunteerism across the country with the payout being the Olympic and Paralympic Games? And so how do we start to instill that type of uh, giving back to your local community as a, as, a, as a way to bring people and get people involved in the, then ultimately in the Olympics and, and in the Paralympics. 
So we think there's some really neat ways that we can actually take what the Olympics and Paralympics gives us as a platform and actually work with partners to deliver that as a part of the games. I wanted to ask you about uh, volunteers because that's such a big integral part of producing the Olympics. How many volunteers do you have for the Olympics and Paralympics? Yeah, well, we haven't finalized all the numbers, but in our initial work that we did during the bid, it's between 40 and 50,000 volunteers uh, to to be able to host the games. And that's everybody from language services to uh, transportation uh, ambassadors and and the like. So, I mean, it it runs the gamut, the opportunities uh, for both the community and otherwise broader uh, to participate in, in hosting in the world in Los Angeles in, in 2028. Well, one of the crazy things that has always struck me about the Olympics is you have this long lead up, but then when it's done, you want to shut down as soon as possible so you aren't spending more and more money. Um, and again, you know, with your volunteers, they're such a huge part of that. How do you communicate with the volunteers? Is it like this on Zoom? Is it email? Like when you're dealing with 40 to 50,000 volunteers, how do you do that? We're not all the way to that part of our, our journey yet. So I think that's where uh, we'll take a little bit of time to, and, and, and in fact, where things like what we're going through today actually increase our understanding of how to communicate with people because we've all been forced to innovate uh, around uh, communication. Um, I think that as we head into 2028, how and what we do for those few years leading into that to engage with the volunteer base that will help us host the games will be dramatically different than it has been in past years and in past games. So that's where, you know, you don't have to get everything done right away. You kind of put yourself and put your, put the right people in the right places because the idea is that as we get closer, then, you know, we can benefit from key learnings that happen through the course of the next number of years. So speaking of those key learnings, how often are you speaking with your counterparts in Paris and in Tokyo, just so you have a better understanding of what to prepare for in 2028? Well, the IOC and the IPC have done a really good job. So the governing bodies of the Olympic and the Paralympic movements have done a very good job of uh, putting together a knowledge transfer uh, program. So they have gone to great lengths to create guides and historical archives of what everyone has done in past games so that as you start to get deeper into the planning and hosting, you've got a treasure trove of information of how the plans were put together and the results of those from previous games. We obviously benefit by virtue of having Tokyo, um, which would be obviously a little bit different than was originally anticipated, and then Paris as two summer games before we actually host. Uh, and And then also Beijing and Milan Cortino, uh, as uh, winter games. And so for us, it's we're on calls with the other organizing committees, predominantly those that are closer to us, meaning from a timeline perspective, uh, we're on calls with them about once a month. Um, so we try to collaborate, communicate, understand what they're dealing with, but, and we're all kind of going through it um, simultaneously. And so we're able to benefit by different things that they're, that other organizing committees are trying. So uh, there's constant communication and key learnings that are happening every day as everyone's preparing for their respective games. Again, we're eight years out, but how much are you communicating with the state of California and the city of Los Angeles on a regular basis about what's going to happen eight years from now? Uh, a lot. I mean, that's, uh, we have a whole team of people, Casey's, Casey Wasserman, very, very focused on that as well. We have an entire government affairs group that are day in and day out uh, communicating with 
the, the really federal, state, and local and municipalities because the coordination effort between all of those. Now, it won't, it, we're not as um, operationally focused as we will be as we get closer into the games, but right now it's about what can we do to continue to impact the community and the, the community that we, that we, quite frankly, serve. All right, in a couple of minutes, we're going to bring Mike Finley from Boingo back in. Uh, but before we do that, we have a lot of students who listen to this show and people who want to work in sports. So this is another question I ask at all of our road shows for a savvy veteran like yourself. And the world is changing so much this year. What advice would you have for students who want to work in sports? Uh Get, some, get a little bit of experience, understand that uh, when you work in sports, it actually doesn't mean you get to watch sports. I think that's uh, one of the key things. Uh, and uh, I've, seen, I've been at more sporting events than I can actually count, and I can, I've probably seen less sporting events uh, than most fans have. Uh, so just to put it in perspective. But, but, um, so number one, make sure you understand what working in sports actually means. Uh, but then number two, don't look for the perfect job. The best way to get the perfect job is to actually be, be in the organization. So find a way to get in, regardless of whether it's selling tickets or uh, doing the photocopies, whatever that may be. It doesn't really matter. What matters is what you do with the opportunity once you have it. And we also have a lot of senior leaders who listen to this show. You're a senior leader some good traits of a, of a good leader. What makes a good leader? Yeah, I think we're all talking a lot these days about empathy. Um, but uh, I think that, that uh, the best way to, to create a culture is actually to understand that people sometimes need space um, and they need, uh, they need to know where, what the vision is. Um, they need, and, and I certainly believe that uh, if you give really great people, really smart people, uh, the freedom to operate that they will come up with incredible and amazing things. And so how do you not tell people what to do, but tell people where we want to go uh, and let them figure out how we get there. Uh, to me, you never know what great ideas come as a result of the people you put around you. Kathy, thanks for the great chat. Before we let you go, we have some questions our listeners sent in to ask on this podcast. Some are related to wireless networks and 5G. So I'm going to ask to bring Mike Finley back in to uh, help with some of those questions. But while we're doing that, I'll, I'll throw you the first question, Kathy. Again, we're eight years away. I, I was thinking the other day, eight years ago, you know, Facebook and Instagram and Twitter were just kind of getting started. So yeah. I think eight years from now, what's going to be in our world that we don't even know exists today how do you anticipate changes in technology for something that's happening eight years from now? Well, we're, we're actually, I wouldn't say that we're working on what that's going to be. I would say we're working on what's the foundation that allows us to evolve into whatever's next. And by that, I mean, and for us, it's really about the experience because delivering the games, that, that and the delivery of the competition, there's uh, some consistency around that from games to games. So we're very focused on, how do we deliver um, an experience for the fans, the community, our partners, our staff? That is, that is what that time, 2028, requires. And so to do that, we have to start even understanding what the baseline has to be today uh, so that we can start to move and evolve towards what the future is actually going to hold. 
Mike, I'm going to throw the next question to you. We're hearing a lot about 5G. Will 5G be mainstream by 2028? And if so, what will that look like for the Olympics? Yeah, uh, absolutely. First of all, uh, great discussion with you and Kathy. Um, it's fantastic. I, I, like I said earlier, I was able to meet Kathy and see her speak uh, earlier this year. And what a great uh, person to be leading this, co- this, uh, this Olympics. But yeah, 5G is, is here today, and it's going to be growing and expanding as we move through the, the, this decade. Uh, devices, more and more devices are coming. More and more networks are being built. The carriers are doing a phenomenal job building it out. So I, you know, I expect most of, the, most of the carriers are highlighting the mid-20s, 24, where you'll see you know, this technology really you know, take off. We've, we've seen that before with 3G and 4G. You mentioned some of the things that weren't uh, there uh, a few years ago. You know, when 4G came into play, Uber and Lyft didn't even exist as a use case. Uh, it was once the technology came to bear that, you know, these great application drivers create these technologies. But I think, you know, it's eight years away. It's a long way in some ways. It'll get here faster than we think in other ways. But uh, on the technology side, you get to talk about all these cool things. But I certainly think autonomous driving and those capabilities, certainly for shuttles and, you know, for this area, as Kathy said, there's, you know, it's going to be a, a big area, a lot of different locations. Um, I think the devices will play a significant role in getting people to the buses, to the shuttles, to the locations. You know, COVID has expedited a number of things, uh, you know, contactless, uh, you know, engagement. So, you know, I think there'll be a lot of things that will be coming to the forefront, such as, you know, getting concessions, getting a beer and a hot dog uh, without having it served to you and things like that. Uh, but at the key, at the, the foundation piece is technology is going to play a significant role uh, going forward. It is today. And for a lot of these things that are happening in sports and the bubbles that we're seeing and, and uh, to enable these things to happen, technology is there. But, you know, healthcare, security, contactless engagement, autonomous vehicles, I think you're going to see all of that as we get into the 28 timeframe. Kathy, I'll let you respond to that and just, you know, ask you again, how will technology and innovation kind of guide the 2028 games? Well, I think Mike was exactly right. And, and, and again, I, I think that uh, for us, um, it starts with, um, again, I, you know, you start an organizing committee, you, you don't have anything. You have no, no infrastructure. And so part of what we're saying, we're starting to build towards is being able to take advantage of the, all of those innovations, whether it's whatever the future is that is that are that's brought to bear as a result of 5G. Um, we have to be prepared to use that as a part of the experience of 2028. Um, and so part of that is to make sure, and it's partially the people we bring together, uh, and how we slowly but surely put an organization together that has an eye towards the future, but that can deliver that experience. And so again, we, we today are not looking into the crystal ball to say, what does 28 uh, look like? We're looking in the crystal ball to say, how do we put the organization in place that can take advantage of what the future starts to look like as we get closer to 2028? And Mike, before I let you go, uh, during COVID, we're seeing you know a lot of new technologies emerge, like Zoom. I didn't know what Zoom was a year ago, but now... We're, we're on it all of the time. Uh, what are you seeing as far as emerging technologies that you think might show up at events like 2028, in addition to the ones you already mentioned? Yeah, you know, I, I think probably, um, you know, the ticket lists, 
um, you know, encounters were, are here today, you know, the autonomous driving and things like that. But one of the things that COVID's brought forward and the capabilities have been there, but uh, you, you, you brought up Zoom and, and video conferencing. Obviously, you can do that on multiple devices. But I think healthcare and kind of the telehealth care piece has um, really been fast forwarded. Um, I, I don't think my mother, you know, who's 84, would have thought she'd be doing a doctor visit on her phone uh, eight months ago, but she is now. And those capabilities are there. And with the great, you know, uh, uh, application uh, engineers and people we have in this country, those things will get expedited. And 28 is going to be an incredible time to have these games because this technology, as I mentioned, coming forth in the middle of the decade, is going to spur all these types of applications and devices and capabilities, both inside and outside the stadiums. It'll start in the airports and how people are getting here. Um, and, you know, I know, Kathy and her team are going to have a great opportunity to, you know, showcase the great technology that the U.S. is bringing forth. And so I think, you know, healthcare is probably the one that I, I think uh, and security and those types of things will, will really stand out um, over and above the things that are already in place. Kathy, we'll wrap with you. Uh, anything that you're specifically, you know, working on right now as you just had your big brand identity announcement, kind of what's the next thing in the queue for you and the, in the organizing committee? Well, you know, we've kind of, we've stated now what our, what our intentions are. And so now it's time for us to back those up. Uh, what we keep, uh, we like to talk a lot about is how do we, how do we start to build the human legacy that will be a part of the journey for LA 28. And ultimately one of the things that we will leave, which is an industry full of people that will have gotten the experience as a result of the 2028 games. Uh, and so I think that there's a lot we can do with the people we bring together, um, the partners that we bring to help us actually deliver these games in 2028. Uh, so for us, the next phase is to start to pull, bring all of that together uh, and, and continue to refine how this will play by the time we get to 2028. But uh, there's a lot ahead of us. We are very, very excited. And, and uh, we like to say if the only thing that we deliver are the games in 2028, we will have missed our window of opportunity to change uh, the games and change our country for the better. Kathy Carter, the Chief Revenue Officer for LA 2028. You can find her on Twitter at kcarter2028. You can find the organization online at la28.org. Thank you so much, Mike Finley and Boingo, for supporting the Sportsman's Radio Roadshow, as always. Thank you, Kathy, for making time out of your busy schedule to be with us. I want to thank Malka Sports for helping us today, Griggs Production, and a special thank you. I don't know if Mike and Kathy, I've got my 15-year-old daughter here in my studio with me, and she is my tech support. Without her, uh, a lot of this doesn't happen on, on my end. So uh, a quick hello from, from yeah. my daughter. So thank you, everyone, and uh, you're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. There's no question that live sports and entertainment events are changing as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. To ensure a strong recovery that keeps fans safe and engaged, sports venues are reimagining game day with Boingo's 5G connectivity solutions. Boingo Wireless helps partners across the NFL, NBA, MLS, and NCAA redefine the in-venue experience with 5G-ready cellular and Wi-Fi 6 networks that power new, touchless technologies. From contactless ticketing and security and in-app food ordering 
to IoT robotics for cleaning and maintenance, Boingo's backbone of wireless connectivity makes new stadium use cases possible. Choosing a digital transformation partner you can trust is key to achieving fan experience goals and following rigorous health and safety protocols. Boingo is the largest operator of indoor wireless networks in the U.S. They help world-class venues navigate a complex and ever-changing technology landscape and have done so for 20 years. I recently had Austin FC President Andy Lochnane on Sports Business Radio. Here's what he had to say about Boingo, Austin FC's 5G partner. A relatively competitive process led to a relatively easy decision. The decision to go with Boingo was one that came with a lot of comfort and confidence. Now more than ever, staying connected is what matters most, and Boingo makes it all possible. Our thanks to Boingo for their continued support of Sports Business Radio. If you need a trusted partner for your network and digital transformation needs, look no further than Boingo. Learn more by visiting boingo.com or emailing sbradio at boingo.com. That's sbradio at boingo.com. Well, that's it for this edition of Sports Business Radio. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks to our show staff, Brian Griggs and Josh Blank. Thanks to our friends from Boingo Wireless, CBDMD, and Mizzen in Maine. And thanks to our partner, Molka Sports, for powering Sports Business Radio. Learn more about them online at molkasports.com. That's M-A-L-K-A sports.com. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon right here on Sports Business Radio. This and every SBR podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and your favorite listening app. Follow Sports Business Radio on Facebook, Twitter at SB Radio, Instagram at Sports Business Radio, and online at sportsbusinessradio.com. Sports Business Radio is produced by Brian Griggs and Griggs Productions, griggsproductions.com.